Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. I'm Dave Rubin, and joining me today is the host of The Larry Elder Show, former gubernatorial candidate for the once great state of California, and now candidate for president of the United States on the Republican side, going for that nomination. We'll see. My old friend, Larry Elder, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Dave, thank you so much for having me. I cannot tell you how many people on the campaign trail, uh, particularly young people, tell me that they discovered me uh, when you interviewed me some years ago. Well, it goes both ways, my friend, because many people discovered me when you beat me <laughs> senseless and all that stuff. Everyone knows about that. Is there anything else right. you want to say about that moment that you force fed me the red pills? Is there anything that has not been said about that at this point? I guess nothing, nothing other than this, Dave. You know, one of the reasons I'm running is because of the way we're at each other's throats, we meaning half the country uh, versus the other half of the country. My mother, uh, I think you know this, was a lifelong Democrat. She was a regular feature on my radio show. Uh, and my dad was a lifelong Republican. And oh, it'd be a fly on the wall when my mom and my dad were arguing about politics. But nobody ever called anybody a fascist. Nobody called anybody a Nazi. Nobody said you only care about the rich, you don't care about the poor. They argued civilly. I have no idea why we got into the point now we can't do that. Yeah, and I come from a family with a very similar background in that regard. It was all over the place politically, argue it out and dessert would right. be served and everybody would put it down and, and do it again the next night. Uh, I wanna start today because people do know our history, obviously, and know that you're on the campaign trail right now. I wanna start today with uh, when the, the recall did not work out as, as you and I had hoped. Uh, you and Nina came over to my place, I think the next night or two nights after, and you said right. to me as I cracked open a bottle of wine, Dave, I think I'm gonna run for president of the United States. And I think I said, Larry, you crazy bastard. <laughs> and here we are, you're doing it. <laughs> Well, and the reason I'm doing it, Dave, is because I am an America first guy. I'm a make America great, great again guy. I supported Donald Trump in 2016, campaigned for him and with him, uh, and supported him again in 2020. That's not the issue. I'm bringing to the table some things I think the other side, for reasons that I cannot understand, uh, are not talking about. Our, our side is not, not talking about. Number one, the epidemic of fatherlessness. It is the 10,000-pound elephant in the room that the left doesn't want to talk about because they caused it. Our side doesn't want to talk about it for fear, I think, that is perceived as denigrating single moms who are often heroically raising kids by themselves or grandparents, or they're afraid of being called systemically racist, or in my case, as you well know, afraid of being called the black face of white supremacy. In 1965, yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't mention that up top. You are the black face of white supremacy, according <laughs> I, to the LA Times. And I, and, I, and I worked hard to earn that title. In 1965, <laughs> day, 25% of black kids into the world without a father in the home married to the mother. Now it is 70%. Today, 25% of white kids now enter the home without a father, uh, in the, enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. And it's a consequence of the welfare state that Democrat Lyndon Johnson launched in the mid-60s. And since then, in my opinion, what we've done is to incentivize women to marry the government and incentivize men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And these numbers I'm about ready to cite 
were also cited by Barack Obama, so you know they must be true. A kid who's raped without a dad is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. I've got some ideas about what we can do about that, uh, but no one's talking about it. Uh, the other big issue is the absolute murderous lie that America remains systemically racist. We know that at one time it was, but to continue acting like it is drives things like reparations, race-based preferences, diversity, equity, inclusion, but more than that, it's getting people killed. It's called the George Floyd effect or the Ferguson effect, and that's a phenomenon of cops pulling back from their normal proactive policing so that in the last several years there are literally thousands of people, uh, I call them excess casualties, uh, who are dead or who have suffered from violent crime, who otherwise would not have suffered if the police had done their normal proactive policing. And the people, by the way, uh, who are these excess casualties are the very black and brown people that people on the left purport to care about, which is a common theme, by the way, in my candidacy. And then there's the absolute disaster of urban education in America, where, just to pick two cities, Baltimore, 13 public high schools, I kid you not, where 0% of the kids can do math at grade level. Another half a dozen, only 1% can. Chicago, 53 government schools, 0% of the kids can do math at grade level. Nationwide, there's something called the America's Report Card. I think it stands for National Assessment of Educational Policy, the America's Report Card. 85% of black eighth graders, these are 13-year-old kids, can neither read nor do math at grade level. Half can do basic reading. But the Democratic Party, because their largest fundraiser funder is the, is the teachers union, adamantly opposes school choice. As the elites like Barack Obama, Joe Biden, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren send their own kids to private schools, but there's nine black and brown kids the opportunity to do the same thing. Even though polls show in the inner city, black and brown parents want school choice. So. If I can talk about those issues and get them front and center, Dave, I will feel that I've given back to my party, and more importantly, I will feel that I've given back to my country. Yeah, and it's obvious from knowing you on camera and off camera, like how deeply you care about these things. These are real to you and the things that you've been living and talking about on the radio for three decades before doing it on the mm -hmm. internet now and everything else. I wanna jump back to one statistic you just mentioned because when people hear this idea, I think you said, I think you said if I'm not mistaken, 1964, 25% of uh, black, uh, children were born in a one family, uh, a one parent home, but so the mother, and now it's 70%. Can you connect right. that actually to Democrat policies in a somewhat simple way so people can really understand that? Because I think, I think the, they hear the statistic, but they don't fully understand, well, okay, well, how does that really have something to do with the welfare state? Right. So if we could connect right. that, I think it would be great. If you look at the amount of money that we spent on the so-called war on poverty from 1965 until now, uh, it's around $22 trillion. If you look at the trend line of kids born outside of wedlock, it parallels that trend line. Uh, so in my opinion, there is a, uh, a connection. Uh, and again, it was Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat, who launched a so-called war on poverty, and his goal was to provide a temporary basis for people to escape poverty. I don't believe he understood that it was gonna create uh, a dependency. There was a poll in the LA Times in the 80s where people who are poor and on welfare were asked, do you believe that welfare is a stepping stone towards independence? Or do you believe that welfare is a crutch that makes you dependent? More called it a crutch, 41%, than called it a stepping stone, stepping stone towards uh, independence, 31%. There's an interesting book called The Tragedy of American Compassion by a guy named Marvin Olasky. And he looks at people during the Great Depression who were eligible for benefits, for the New Deal benefits, 
but for whatever reason, reasons of pride, of self-sufficiency, did not take them and looked at those families 20 years down to find out which ones were better. And not too surprisingly, the family that did not take the welfare were far better off than the family that did take the welfare. FDR even called welfare his New Deal, uh, which he thought was going to be temporary, a, quote, subtle narcotic, close quote, that trapped people into dependency. This is an age-old problem. Uh, Alexis, de de Alexis de Tocqueville excuse me, wrote about it in a book called Memoirs on Pauperism. He was wealthy, was able to travel around the world, which was unusual in those days. And he went to England, which at the time was the wealthiest country in the world. And he saw that there were many, many beggars on the streets, more than anywhere else he'd been. He thought that was a conundrum. It turned out that, that London, England, was the first state to provide no questions asked welfare. And as a result, there were far more people who were dependent on welfare than other states did, did not provide it. It's just human nature. Uh, slovenly behavior, if uh, subsidized, becomes more slovenly. You see that with homelessness. You see that with all sorts of things. And you certainly see it with, with people uh, being incentivized to have children without a man being in the home. You know, I think I said this when, when I helped campaign with you. You know, in some ways it's ironic because I know you, you want to live in a post-racial world. In many ways we do. And yet so much of what you talk about is addressing these perceived racist issues that there's a bit of a, I suppose, a catch-22 in there. Um, are you worried that no matter how much you lay out these ideas and, and clearly just from our conversations, the millions of people who have been enlightened by this stuff, you're affecting a certain amount of people, but that for whatever reason, all-time low black unemployment under Donald Trump, uh, that, you know, black males, I think it was 7% that voted for Donald Trump, and I think females were 4%, that for whatever reason, that thing has been so lodged that it may be an intractable problem politically. I don't think so. In fact, the numbers are this. Donald Trump got 8% of the black vote in 2016. Uh, he got 12% in 2020, a 50% increase, but 20% of black males voted for him, and I believe for the reason that you mentioned, best economy ever for blacks. Uh, he pardoned the first black uh, heavyweight champion, Jack Johnson. He did the First Step Act that allowed some almost 50, almost 5,000 mostly black men have their sentences reconsidered to reduce an average of around 70 months. Uh, he secured the borders. The, the group most hurt by illegal alien labor are black people living in the inner city because most of the illegal aliens have very little education, so they compete against them. Uh, the one study done by the Civil Rights Group found, Dave, that about a million more blacks would be working if it weren't for the presence of illegal alien labor. And illegal alien labor puts downward pressure to the tune of almost $1,800 per year on the salaries of people living in the inner city. And Donald Trump supported school choice, which, as I mentioned, most black and brown parents in the inner city want. So I think if you, if you lay out the facts, lay out this fact, too. Uh, a young black man, and I consider this to be young since I'm 71 years old, age 10 to 43, is 13 times more likely to be murdered than a young white man in the same demo. Nationwide, 60% of the homicides, uh, the shootings, and the robberies are committed by blacks, mostly young black men. Unless you're prepared to, to say that blacks are just genetically inclined to be criminals, you have to ask yourself what the devil is going on. And I say that to people who, who uh, are upset with me when I talk about race being, being no longer a major problem in America. What's your analysis of why black people are doing this? And the answer is the breakdown of the nuclear intact family. You do not find this kind of criminality when people come from nuclear intact families. There's a left-wing publication called The Atlantic, and a few months ago, they had this long, very interesting article about all the decisions a young couple makes when they have a kid, whether from what to, what to name him or her, uh, what color to, to uh, paint the, uh, the, the nursery, 
The most important decision is whether you're able to live in a neighborhood with a majority of two-parent households. Even if you are a single-parent household, said the article, you're going to benefit by being around uh, families that have two parents in the household. What does that tell you? The most left-wing popular think tank in America is the Brookings Institution. They have a researcher named Isabel Sawhill, S-A-W-H-I-L-L, done a lot of research on the importance of being raised by two-parent households and laid out all the stats we talked about at the top of your show. Yeah, it's so interesting. My, my parents still live in the house that I was brought up in that they bought in 1979. They've been married over, over 50 years. My mom, I'm the oldest of three. My mom stopped working when I went to school, so she made us you know, breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner, obviously, was home when we came home from school. And then when my sister, who's 11 years younger than me, when she was out of school, my mom went back to work. And, and they have three, you know, I'd like to think relatively functioning children. So it's basically what you're saying is we all know it to be true, but a whole bunch of people are kind of afraid. L let's talk a little bit, or at least afraid to say it. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what's going on on the campaign. Because right now, uh, to get into the first debate, you need 40,000 individual donors. You don't quite have that yet. You're on your way there, and I hope that this show will get some people to chip in, and we'll, we'll link to that down below. But you, you do qualify by your where you're polling at, so you just need a few more donors right. to get in there. Can you just talk about what your strategy has been going out there, talking to people? I see you on the ground with a lot of folks all the time, taking questions, smiling, all, all kissing babies, all the stuff. <laughs> Well, my strategy is to get on as many programs as yours, like yours, to tell people exactly what I need. I've done a lot of Fox, I've done a lot of Newsmax, a lot of uh, News Nation. I just did that yesterday. Uh, to tell people I need 40,000 individual donors. The amount can be as small as $1, and all you have to do is go to my website, LarryElder.com. The criteria are at least 1% in the polls and 40,000 individual donors. And frankly, uh, I'm kind of surprised it's been that difficult to, to do. I got 3.5 million votes when I ran for governor. On the replacement side, California has 58 counties that carry 57. The only one I lost was San Francisco, and I lost that by 149 votes. I raised more money than all of the other 45 rival replacement candidates combined, more than all of the Republicans uh, combined, uh, yet it's been very difficult. I think because, because of the presence of Trump and DeSantis, I think a lot of people feel that they're likely to be the nominee and they don't want to, quote, waste their money, close quote. But as I said earlier, even if you want somebody else, at the very least, don't you want me to be talking about the issue of fatherlessness, the lie that America is systemically racist, the need for school choice? We also have on our website, Dave, a model legislation that states can adopt to set up commissions of retired judges, retired lawyers, to get uh, retired DAs rather, to get rid of these soft on crime George Soros backed DAs that are all over the place. They're in San Francisco, at least they used to be until the guy was recalled. LA, there been two attempts to recall George Gascon. Uh, in Philadelphia, there's been an impeachment of the George Soros backed DA, but the Senate refused to take up the trial. They've got him in Des Moines, Iowa. Of course, they got one in New York. And this commission would allow citizens to uh, file complaints and allow the commission to hear the complaints and if necessary to recommend the removal of that uh, George Soros back DA. And finally, I'm arguing this. We've had this standoff that we have from time to time on whether or not to raise the debt ceiling. And of course, you and I both know the debt ceiling is going to be raised because nobody wants to be responsible for the consequences of what happens if America defaults on its debt. And from time to time, we have a standoff on whether or not the government ought to be shut down. And whatever it has been, which it has been in a few times in the last few years, the party that is perceived as 
blameworthy gets hurt in the polls. So I think going forward, it's not likely we're going to be shutting down the government either, either over, over funding. The only way to rein in spending, because much of it is on automatic pilot because of the so-called entitlements, is with an amendment to fix spending to a certain percentage of the GDP, with exceptions for war and for natural disaster. Otherwise, both parties are going to spend. Government grew under Ronald Reagan, it grew under George Herbert Walker Bush, it grew under George W. Bush, it grew under Donald Trump. And, and woe to any politician that runs promising to reform Social Security or reform Medicare or reform Medicaid, you will lose elections, which is why the can is always kicked down the road. The word unsustainable to describe the uh, so-called entitlements was used by Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, yet nothing gets done because you'll be hammered, you'll be killed, you'll be massacred in the polls if you do. But if you are forced to do so by law, you can then come out of, from the room and say, the devil made me do it, please don't hurt me at the ballot box. So I know the stuff that that's sort of your red meat and the stuff that you love talking about and that you've been, you know, hitting hard for all these years. When you're when you're out there, when you're in Iowa, New Hampshire and some of these early states now, what's what's kind of the temperature of of the people on the right, the Republicans, as they're getting visits from all of you guys now? The economy, the economy, the economy. People are concerned about inflation. They're concerned about gas prices. They're concerned about crime. Uh, and they're concerned about the borders. I think those are the primary issues uh, that people are concerned about. Uh, and people feel pushed around. They feel that Donald Trump has been subjected to a, a, a two-tiered judicial system. They're angry over Donald Trump being indicted over the documents, but Joe Biden is still being investigated. I believe that O.J. Simpson will find the killer or killers of Ron and Nicole before the Hunter Biden investigation has been completed. And people are angry about Anybody that dares suggest that if you raise questions about 2020, you are an election denier, even as Hillary, for the entirety of President Trump's term, referred to him as illegitimate, said the election was stolen, with far less evidence. I think people are concerned about that. But by and large, people are worried about dinner table issues, most notably the fact that their wages are not keeping up with inflation, uh, the high gas prices, uh, and overall the economy. Uh, I think about two-thirds of Americans, if not more, believe that we're on the wrong track. Yeah. What are people saying about the Democrats right now? Because I'd imagine everybody sort of isn't into Biden, but do, do, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably also hearing from some sort of moderate Democrats who are kind of thinking, oh, maybe this is the year to break away because they're so bananas right now. Well, you, you would hope, hope so. I think a lot of people, Republicans I talk to feel Democrats are just absolutely crazy. They feel that they're obsessed with things like, like climate change. They hear Joe Biden give a speech at Howard University and say the number one threat to the homeland is white supremacy. And they just wonder what, who these people are. You know, my mom, as I mentioned, was a lifelong Democrat, but I got her to vote for Republicans in latter years. She voted twice for George W. Bush. And she's one of those Democrats who believe I didn't leave the party, the party left me. But she refused to change her party registration for, I think, emotional reasons. Let's jump back to, to Cali for a sec, because that is where you still live. You're still in Cali, still in Los Angeles. And, and I know you've got right. a good life there and everything else. I desperately tried to get you to flee with me. Do you think that Cali, LA specifically, but all these blue cities that we're watching sort of in the free fall, do you think there is a comeback for them? Or do you think that they just have not hit rock bottom yet and there's just more to go? You know, I've written a book about uh, my, my California race and what the one-party state has done uh, to the state. As you know, we've got super majorities of Democrats in the Assembly uh, and in the uh, Senate, so Republicans need not even show up for work. And they pass one job-killing bill after another, one freedom-sapping bill after another. It's called As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. My goals are modest. 
And I, I, again, I liken it to a drug addict. At some point, you would think the voters would hit rock bottom and begin to rethink their assumptions and put different people in office. But it's not happening. You know, the, the recall part lost by a pretty substantial margin. Uh, a guy named Caruso ran against Karen Bass, the uh, black female Democrat who was elected mayor of L.A. He outspent her 10 to 1. Lifelong developer, had great ideas about what to do about the homeless. And he got crushed. And I thought maybe there might be a chance, uh, given the crime in L.A., given the homelessness in L.A., given the fact that the average price of a home in California is 175% above the national average, uh, the poor schools, I thought maybe, just maybe, there would be a chance that the voters would find somebody that they could get around. I saw the debates, very competent debater. Uh, he, got, he got crushed. So I, I really don't know. I, I don't think we're there yet. You know, I, I thought maybe when the crime went to the suburbs, maybe something would happen. Uh, a few years ago, uh, a retired Motown mogul uh, in his 80s, married to a woman in her 80s, uh, lives in Beverly Hills, has armed security at his house, Dave. Guy broke in who never should have been on the streets and shot and killed the woman. Then, shortly after that, uh, a UCLA graduate student working in a store in Hancock Park uh, the very Tony area of L.A. where Maxine Waters has her $5 million mansion. It's, it's not her district, but that's where she has her mansion. Well, it used to be her district, and now the district changed, and the rules <laughs> are you can keep your house where you used to have it. So technically, she hasn't violated any law. But anyway, UCLA graduate student uh, was working at a furniture store. Guy comes in, homeless guy, shouldn't have been on the streets, with a knife, kills her. And uh, I would have thought that maybe, just maybe, when the crime comes to the burbs, something would happen uh, with these elites that are sending all this money uh, to people like Gavin Newsom. But it still hasn't happened. So at some point, according to my a former next-door neighbor, Mrs. Lust, things don't always keep getting bad forever. So at some point, uh, the lust factor has got to kick in, but I don't know when that's going to be. We only have a couple of minutes left. Let, let's just talk a little bit about the uh, the ins and outs of what's going on with the Republicans. Because you mentioned the, the big two, obviously. It's it's Trump and DeSantis. As you're watching them kind of go at each other, you know, you can sort of somewhat sit it out. But what do you make of the, the brewing war there? It, it's a damn shame. It's a damn I mean, you know where I'm at kind of and how I fled right. so publicly to Florida. But I did right. support Trump. I love you. Like, I, you know, I want you on that debate stage and all this stuff. But what do you make of just like the war that's brewing right now? Is this just politics and we all got to get past it? Well, we should understand that the target is the Harris-Biden administration. Notice I said Harris-Biden because if Joe cannot fog up a mirror, it's going to be Kamala Harris. And after he gets across, across the finish line, he's going to hand over the baton to her. So that's what the target is. And during the recall campaign, you might recall, I never said a single negative thing about my Republican rivals. Unfortunately, they did not abide by the same tenet. Had they done so, had they done what I always did when I was given a chance to take a shot at uh, John Cox or Kevin uh, Faulkner, that's a two-term mayor of San Diego that the establishment party wanted uh, in California to win. By the way, I took San Diego County by 30 points just saying, when I had a chance to take a shot at Caitlyn Jenner, I always said, they're not the issue. The issue is Gavin Newsom. Ask Gavin Newsom at what point does he feel a pregnancy has gone so far that it constitutes homicide. Ask Gavin Newsom why he hasn't put his own kids in public school. Ask Gavin Newsom why he was jumping it up at the 
French Laundry with the people that drafted the mandates, not, not wearing a mask, not engaging in social distancing. Same thing here. The target is the inflation. The target is the crazy borders. We're going to have about 8 million illegal aliens in the country by the end of his first term. Lord knows how many more by the end of his second term. Uh, the war on oil and gas has caused our gas prices to go up. All the spending, the illegal debt forgiveness, uh, and, the, and the denigration of police officers, he's the target. And so any one of these candidates uh, would be superior to the Harris-Biden administration. We, got, we have a really deep bench, and we ought to be proud of, proud of that, and I am. You know, hearing you talk about how you behaved and your, the way you did not attack the other guys on your side of the aisle during that campaign, it reminds me that two or three days before the recall that, uh, what was his name? The, uh, Reed Hastings from Netflix was pouring millions and millions of dollars, in essence, calling you a white supremacist and you know, you're Trump evil, blah, blah, blah. And then they sent Biden and Obama to Cali to campaign for Gavin and they refused to even say your name. You remember that? Right. Oh yeah, and Joe Biden said, well, Joe Biden said my name. Oh, he, he did. said Larry Elder is the closest thing to a Donald Trump that I've ever seen. Oh, so it was Obama that been. wouldn't say your name, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was Joe Biden. Larry Elder is the closest thing to a Trump clone that I've ever seen. Uh, should I be flattered <laughs> or, or should I be offended? Larry, uh, rem remind yeah. people for a moment, Donald Trump came from his dad worth obviously like hundreds of millions. Your dad was a janitor, if I'm not mistaken, probably not worth hundreds of millions. <laughs> My, my dad never knew his biological father, was kicked out of the house by his irresponsible mom when he was 13 years old. Athens, Georgia, Jim Crow South at the beginning of the Great Depression. He ended up, when I was growing up, cleaning toilets, two full-time jobs, cleaning toilets, cooked for a family on the weekend because he wanted my mom to be a stay-at-home mom, went to night school to get his GED, then went to night school to learn how to operate a small restaurant, started a small restaurant in his late 40s, ran it until his 80s. My dad retired, he owned the restaurant, he owned a little bit of property next door, plus the home that's still in our family. Not too shabby for somebody who really faced brutal racism when he was growing up. That's why I have so little tolerance for the way Democrats are trying to tell black people that they remain oppressed. It is nonsense. The formula to escape poverty uh, is pretty uh, straightforward. Finish high school, don't have a kid until you get married, get married first, get a job, keep that job, don't quit that job to get another job, and avoid the criminal justice system. Do that, you will not be poor. And that is what Democrats ought to be telling young black people instead of telling them people owe you something, people owe you reparations, which in my opinion is the extraction of money from people who are never slave owners to be given to people who are never slaves. The Democratic Party has pimped black people for decades. They need that, that nearly 90, 95% monolithic black vote without which they cannot win at the top. And so rather than get black people talking about bad schools and crime uh, and jobs, they got them talking about social justice, <clears throat> excuse me, and equity, whatever the devil those things mean. Larry, you are a colleague, a mentor, and most importantly, a friend. Uh, I'm honored to have been on this journey with you. And uh, let's get you to those 40,000. So the link is right down below. And I wish you luck, my friend. We've got a country to save. Thanks, Dave, as always. I appreciate it. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.